Welcome to Milkshake Monday, episode 158. You want me to do what? I put that in the actual title because there are times where the Lord asks us to do things or to have obedience to his guidance and all we can do is trust because when we hear on the face of what's being asked to do, all you can do is trust. So we're going to start out the scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and we'll start at verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 starting with verse 6. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age know. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eyes has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words, which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual Now look at verse 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now I have three different versions of verse 14 that I want to read out loud to you. Now the New International Version says of 1 Corinthians 2.14, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but consider them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The New Living Translation says, But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it, for only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. The English Standard Version says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Oftentimes when you go to teachings about the Bible or the church, and the minister is trying to explain that, have an ear to hear. It's not those natural ears that we point to and get wax out of, but it's your spiritual heart for your spirit that lives within you to listen to what the voice of the Lord is speaking through the man or woman of God at that time. Now, tonight we're going to talk about five different things, four situations, but five 
things that I want you to have an appreciation. And I'm trying to speak slowly because I know that sometimes when you are listening to the word of God, it goes right over your head. You don't always get it. But in this case, I had this thought because I don't know if you know, but there was an actual prophet in a story that I remember thinking about for the last few weeks since William passed, where God told the prophet he wasn't allowed, he was commanded not to grieve or show any tears for the loss of his wife, which the Lord gave him foresight to know it was going to happen relatively quickly. So I wanted us to see that. And what must have been happening? We know we read these stories and we just think all these people are just so super spiritual. But in reality, they're people like you and I. And the Lord asked the prophet, even though he knows the Lord, he loves the Lord, he serves the Lord, to do something that was hard for his flesh. Our emotions are a part of the makeup of what God has given us. So let's go to Ezekiel chapter 24. We're going to start at verse 15. Ezekiel is in the Old Testament, chapter 24, verse 15. Ezekiel 24, verse 14 says, Also the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, behold, I take away you, I take away from you the desire of your eyes with one stroke. He's talking about his wife, who Ezekiel loves. Yet you shall neither mourn, nor weep, nor shall your tears run down. Now, I want to read this out of the New International. Same verse. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, with one blow. I'm about to take away from you the delight of your eyes. Yet do not lament, or weep, or shed any tears. Groan quietly. Do not mourn for the dead. Keep your turban fastened and your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your mustache and beard or eat the customary food of mourners. Now, that's pretty tough. And as I thought about it, I said, Lord, thank you for allowing me to mourn. Thank you for allowing the people of God to mourn, the family of God to mourn for who we've lost. But I said, how tough, how excruciatingly difficult in a way that none of us can appreciate, where God has given a command. And that's why I said, you want me to do what? Ezekiel had to hear those words that not only is he finding out from God, he's going to actually kill his wife. His wife is going to be gone. That's a blow. But on top of that, don't show any emotions. Don't show any of the feelings that you're going to have. What you see in this passage, Ezekiel never said why. Like many of us would want to say, why? Come on, Lord, don't do that. Don't have me do, don't do it, first of all. But don't, don't ask me to do something that's, it's hard. If I lose her, I love her. Don't, don't, you didn't see any of that. You see him go into verse 18. He goes and does the function of his ministry. So I spoke to the people in the morning. And in the evening, my wife died. The next morning, I did as I had been commanded. Now, you, what it was he commanded? So his wife dies in the evening. You all know the customs of the Jews, what they're supposed to do. You know how fast they're supposed to turn around, actually burying their dead. But God has told him 
He's going to take her. But he says, don't cry. Don't lament. Don't shed a tear. Don't let it run down your face. So all that evening, he's supposed to keep it in. So the next morning, he gets up and says, the next morning I did as I had been commanded. Now, sometimes God is asking us to do something to put down our flesh, but to do as he commanded. And that's not easy. It sounds easy when you're reading it in a scripture that's in the Old Testament that you may hear on a Sunday morning and forget about it for the next 20 years. But this is a man of God that went through this. Verse 19 says, then the people asked me, won't you tell us what these things have to do with us? What does it have to do that your wife is dead and you've been told by God not to not to cry? Not to mourn, not to cover your face, not to eat the, the food of mourners. What does that have to do with us? Yeah, we're sorry she did, but what, what does that have to do with us? Sometimes God has you do things that you don't understand how it's going to affect other people. We don't understand the plan of God. But look what it says. Why are you acting like this? The people ask him. So I said to them, the word of the Lord came to me. Say to the people of Israel, This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am about to desecrate my sanctuary, the stronghold in which you take pride, the delight of your eyes, the object of your affection. Do you see how things are turned around? God is telling them, you love the sanctuary greater than the sovereign Lord of the sanctuary. You have an affection, a passion for the sanctuary, but don't have it for the command and the, and the things of God and God who is sovereign. Your affection's on the wrong place. And a lot of us love a lot of things, a lot of people, a lot of things in our life, but they elevate before the sovereign Lord. He says, I'm about to desecrate my sanctuary, the stronghold in which you take pride, the delight of your eyes, the object of your affection. The sons and daughters left behind will fall by the sword and you will do as I have done. You will not cover your mustache or beard or eat the customary food of mourners. You will keep your turbans on your heads and your sandals on your feet. You will not mourn or weep, but will waste away because of your sins and groan among yourselves. Ezekiel will be a sign to you. You will do just as he has done when this happens. God has already said this is a foregone conclusion. I'm about to do this. And there's some things that are going to happen in our lives that are going to impact our flesh. Things around us in our lives. And some of it is because of us being ungodly and refusing to do what thus saith the Lord. And having our affections, our eyes, our hearts on things that are not of God. And you're like, oh, God wouldn't do that. Really? Verse 24 will say at the end, Ezekiel will be assigned to you. You will do just as he has done. When this happens, you will know that I am the sovereign Lord. And you, son of man, on the day I take away their stronghold, their joy and glory, the delight of their eyes, their heart's desire, and their sons and daughters as well. On that day, a fugitive will come to tell you the news. At that time, your mouth will be opened. You will speak with him and will no longer be silent. So you will be assigned to them and they will know that I am the Lord. If you don't get it, God wants to make sure all of us recognize his priority, 
he's in charge. I read a, a, one of the um, Facebook postings. I love to see the little children grow, but these children are a heritage of the Lord. They're not to be our best friends. They are supposed to be the heritage of the Lord that we train them up. You cannot put your children, your spouses, your jobs, these things before God. God is a jealous God. He says that when we were little, we learned about these 10 commandments, but somehow all the things that we want have elevated themselves before God. That's an example of you want me to do what? Here's another example. In 2 Kings 5, I remember reading this and thinking about this recently because it talks about a man who's got leprosy. And if you know anything about leprosy, you're normally an outcast. But in this case, this is a valiant warrior to the king. And I can't read all of 2 Kings 5, but the bottom line is that in 2 Kings 5, this man wants to be healed and he finds out that there's a prophet who some little servant girl says, I think if, he, my, if, if my master goes to this prophet of Israel, I think he could get healed of this leprosy. So long story short, the king sends a message to the king of a nation of Israel and he thinks it's a setup. But anyway, he sends Naaman. So we're going to start at verse 15 of chapter 5 of 2 Kings. But what you're going to see is that the man is haughty. He's full of himself. He wants something as a miracle. He didn't say he was a servant of the Most High God, but he wants something from the man of God, from the Most High God. But guess what? He wants it on his terms. He wants it his way. He wants to keep his position of power and authority and he wants God to bow to him. He wants the man of God to bow to him and thinks he's been offended at what God says through the servant of God he must do to be cleansed. He doesn't even want to be humble, but this is a man that's a leper who's supposed to be an outcast. But look what happens. We're going to start again in verse 15 of 2 Kings 5. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God, stood before him and declared, Oh, I'm sorry. I jumped ahead. I jumped ahead before the story. So let me get back to where he's been told what to do. He's been. All right. Well, let's start earlier. Let's start at verse seven. I apologize. Second Kings chapter five, verse seven. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him? Of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot. And he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him. He didn't even come out himself. So this man is used to being in front of kings. And, and he's, he's a military soldier. He's a big time guy where he's from. And Elisha didn't even come out. He sent his servant. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. And your flesh shall be restored to you. And you shall be clean. 
here God has instructed the man of God what to do. But the guy that has the need, it's like some of us have a need. But when God tells us what we have to do for us to have our needs met, like, you want me to do what? And that's what this guy is saying. You want me to do what? Go into the funky, smelly, dirty, grimy Jordan River and dunk seven times? You want me to do what? You didn't even come out and tell me yourself. You sent your messenger. I'm at your door. You don't even have the courtesy to come out and see my face. This is the man of God telling him what God is going to do for him. But this is what God expects you to do first because the guy is puffed up, full of himself, even as a leper. Some of us is broke, dead broke. God says you need to share tithes and offerings and be under the guidance of the word of God. Do what's right. We're like, oh no, I ain't doing that. You want a godly relationship, you got to stop sinning in your flesh. I ain't going to do that. All this stuff we got is our conditions. So look what happens here. He tells him about Jordan seven times. And your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. Verse 11. Now Naaman became furious. And went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, as us talking to ourselves, he will surely come out to me. And stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. And wave his hand over this place. And heal the leprosy. He already had preconceived conditions in his mind. Situations of how it was going to happen. But guess what? We can't tell God how he's going to perform. His deep things of the Lord. His miracles. His plans. His divine way. We can't tell. We may think it. A lot of us think. Oh I know how God's going to figure this out for me. And then God tells you to do something. And we're like, you want us to do what? You want me to do what? But Naaman had a figure of in his mind what he expected. And none of it's happening that way. Because that's not how God does it. Verse 12. Let's finish up with verse 11. He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God. And wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not... The Abaddon and the Paraphat, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. He wanted it his way. He didn't want to hear what God wanted him to do. He heard what God said. He said, you want me to do what? I'm not doing that. That's basically what he was in. In verse 12, he's saying, I could do it better. It shouldn't have been the Jordan. It should have been these other cleaner rivers. Don't you know who I am? I don't want to do it like that. That was his attitude. He was mad about the fact the messenger of God didn't even bring himself to come to the door. He's mad about the message. He's mad about the method and the means of how it's being done. And so he's going to go away mad in a rage. He said in a rage. And some of us get so mad when God don't do it like we want want him to do it. He don't come through like we tell him that we want it done this way. We get off of our knees in prayer and we say, oh God, you're going to fix it this way. And God said, like, like the sister says, he's a jealous God. He is God. We're not. He's the sovereign Lord. We're not. Verse 13 says, and his servants came near and spoke to him and said, my father, If the prophet had told you to do something great, 
Would you have not done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So there's a rationalization to realize that you're mad because you think you've been offended. You're mad because you had a way that you expected God and the man of God to behave and it didn't turn out this way. But then somebody in reason came and said, you're in leprosy. And what he's asked is not that great. What he's asked is for you to wash and be clean. That's not that great. But see, there's a, a turning around in verse 14. So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. See how God will do it? He won't do it your way. He won't say, oh, there's a better way? Oh, I didn't realize that? Oh, you want to do it one time, not seven times? Oh, you want a different river? Oh, you want him to throw his hands up? Oh, you want... No, God don't change for us. God is the sovereign Lord. And there are things that he's telling each and every one of us to do according to his commands and his divine plan that are not of our will, but of his will. Let's go to another. And y'all really should read Second uh, Kings 5 because you see how people get greedy and they try to do what they think is slick, but God don't let that happen. Now, here's another example. Many of us have heard the story of Hosea. So let's go to Hosea chapter 1. If you have the opportunity, you should read Ezekiel chapter 23 because as I was preparing for this, when I read the chapter before, it talked about how the nation of Israel had gone and really was becoming a harlot in the sense of defying the Lord Jesus Christ and the word of God. So what's happening in Hosea, so that you have some understanding, God is going to tell a prophet, somebody in the ministry, he's going to tell him, go and marry a woman that's promiscuous. She likes to have sex with a lot of different men. Some people call her a harlot. She likes to have sex and she don't care who she has it with. But here a preacher normally would get somebody who is chaste, who's virtuous. But God is trying to show the great love that he has for his children. That we are finding ourselves with somebody holy, but we're not holy. We're not righteous. No, not one of us. But God is holy. And what happens is we keep going off and and you're going to see this man keep bringing her back. And every time that he brings her back, she's pregnant with somebody else's baby. And a lot of us pick up some habits and hobbies and some sin life behaviors, secret sins. And we keep getting wooed back by the Holy Spirit to say, repent, turn around, come to God. And we keep continuing wanting to do our own thing. We keep going back out there. But here's the Lord showing in Hosea how he loves us so much. His great mercy, his great care. So let's start at chapter 1 of Hosea, chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. I'm going to start at verse 2. This is New International Version I'm reading to. When the Lord began to speak, through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, 
marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Deep Lane, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Now, I've already told you, she's having relations with other men. So he doesn't know if his wife is having his babies or not having his babies. But in the sense, he's still got to love her. He's going to love these children as his own. Verse 8, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Ramah, which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should all should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by the house or horses or horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. After she had weaned Lo Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo Ami, which means not my people. For you are not my people, and I'm not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore. We cannot be measured or counted in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. They will be called the children of the living God, the people of Judah. Now, the reality is, the story is trying to show great love about God to us, his people, and the nation of Israel back then. But can you imagine having to be told, Go get a woman that going to love and make love and have sex with anybody that she finds that she wants to go to bed with. You want me to do what? But here <laughs> these men of God are not saying, God, I don't stand. I'm not going to do it. They're following the word of God. I have no idea what's going on with this dog right now. Anyway, 2 Corinthians 12 is Paul. And we've always heard of Paul with the thorn in the flesh. But here's the thing I want you to see before we read 2 Corinthians 12. When it comes to action, Paul is finding himself asking God for something. Yoshi, come here. Come here. Come here. Come up here. My daughter is on the... Come on. Come on. So, what you'll find is that in 2 Corinthians, Paul is asking for the Lord to heal him of this pain that he has in his body. And God is going to say, no. So you say, you want, me to, you want me to do what? We don't have anybody coming in the house, but I'm going to ask you all to just give me one second to handle this. Sorry about that, guys. It's not going to stop anyway. So Paul finds himself where he's asked God to take the thorn in the flesh. And the Lord responds, my grace is sufficient for you. That he's made strong in Paul's weakness. So basically, God is asking him to continue with the pain in his body and keep on ministering. 
You want me to do what? I've asked you to heal me, but you want me to continue in the pain of my body? Now, Paul could have had a fit and said, I'm doing your ministry. I'm doing this. I'm going to this. He didn't do any of that. He just had to accept what God was doing in his life. Now, in John 3, the last scripture that I want to take you to, John 3, verse 7. God is saying to each and every one of us, and I'm not being churchy when I say this. He's saying, you must be born again. And people want to say, oh, I don't know what that means. What does that mean? It means you have to come to a right relationship with God and recognize that he's sovereign, that it's his commands that he wants you to follow, that it's important for all of us to recognize that none of us are righteous, that we can't be like Naaman and try to do it our way. We can't put preconceived conditions on how our relationship will be with Christ. He's got it in his word. He's going to teach you through the Holy Spirit. But the reality is when he says in verse chapter three, verse seven, he says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. He's saying what you must do. You want me to do what? God wants us to be saved. And he says, you must be born again. It's interesting to me that I see so many people now that they want their way. They don't want to have a relationship strictly with Jesus Christ. They want to have it with all these other gods and they want to make these rules of themselves. But the Lord's word doesn't change. He says the way, the truth, and life, that, that the only way to the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. He says if you want to follow him, you must deny yourself. And we say, you want me to do what? And he says, yeah, I want you to do my word. I want you to follow after my truth. I want you to believe on me. I want you to repent. I want you to understand that I am God and you're not. I want you to understand that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, that you and I as a whosoever, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So when you say, you want me to do what? Yes. He wants you to have a right relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. He wants you to understand that you have to repent of your sins. He wants you to understand that it's a process to be sanctified through the blood of Christ, a process to learn and to grow and be a disciple. He has a process that he wants you, you and I, all of us to go to the house of prayer, the house of worship and have fellowship one with another. He wants you to understand that in him is everything that we need for this natural life. He wants us to understand that if we go and take our last breath in this life, that we will find ourselves, if we have not accepted Christ and a part of his family, we will be separated from him for all eternity. You say, you want me to do what? He wants us to come to him. He wants us to be a part of his family for eternity. He wants us to grow and develop in the knowledge of Christ and stop playing games. The examples tonight, they may seem foolish to some. And 1 Corinthians explains why that could be. It could involve your flesh and things that you want done. It could involve a lot of things. But the reality is God's word is true. He's sovereign and you're not. And we need to make sure that we do what thus saith the Lord. 
I hope that something has been said and you've ignored the barking of the dog. That's just noise. That's how Satan does. When his truth is being proclaimed, he wants to distract. But don't be distracted. This world has these wide gates of all these distractions. But listen for the truth. Listen for God's word through the distractions. Have your ear to hear, not the foolishness, but the mysteries of the kingdom of God. I love you and I ask for your prayers to continue. Have, help us be a part of the harvest. Be a part of the labor force. For the harvest is right, but the labors are few. I love you and Lord will and I'll see you next week.